0: welcome to innovating edtech the show where we dive in and hear from education experts about what's happening on the ground and what the future holds today i'm your host benjamin from user.com join me as i hear from greg lasur share about relationship building at an unstable local level how important your edtech data is plus aligning your team around a north star hi greg please introduce yourself
1: so my name is Greg. I am the head of product at Teach Starter. I've been in product for fifteen years, starting off in product design. I moved into product management about seven years ago, and I've been leading product teams for the past five years. Recently transitioned into ed tech. So prior to this, I was in gaming, and I've been in ed tech for almost a year now.
2: Hello, Greg. Good morning, Ben.
0: <laughs> so your experience is yeah pretty vast, at least from a product perspective can you share some highlights maybe some things that you're proud of
1: i think the the biggest thing that i'm proud of is probably the team that i grew at the last company i was at i joined there as their sole product designer this is 10 years ago i was there for quite a while and then established the whole product function and ended up leaving there with a whole product department i was about 35 people strong we took the revenue from 70 million to half a billion which was fun. And yeah, I think that's probably the most thing I'm proud of is the culture and the team that I left behind when I moved on to my next role. And hopefully I can do the same thing here at Teach Startup. Could you share
0: some stories or about a project maybe that didn't work in your career?
1: There's a few. Actually, there's been a lot. The one that I think you'll be interested in because you're playing in the same space is at one stage, while at Jumbo, we decided to build our own marketing tool in-house. And... The decision to do that in the first place uh, was somebody else's, but it then became, as I stepped into the head of product role, it was in my job to manage that. And within the first kind of six months, it was pretty clear that we should not be building our own martech stack and that instead we should be buying one off the shelf. And so we had to shut that down. I understand the rationale for why they decided to go down that path. At the time, we tried to integrate with two different marketing tech stacks. And both of them had failed miserably. And so we thought we'd just try and build it ourselves. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was that our data, our data piping and our data infrastructure wasn't supporting what is now possible with personalized and automated marketing. And so we ended up shutting it down. And that whole kind of tech suite was able to, we grew from about 300 to 500 million over 18 months just through personalized marketing which is through the power of that kind of stack but it was a tough call to make right because at that point we'd already invested almost two years into that product and we'd had 12 devs on it i don't even want to know the numbers it's probably close to two or three million dollars in terms of money that we would put into building that tool so it was a tough call to make
0: it sounds like at that point it's almost like your baby right so having to make the call to shut that down is really tough alexandria and i did a project together and um it was really tough. Everything was like forcing us to grow outside of our bounds and just learn new things, try new things. And our boss actually mentions this was the best thing that happened to us during this time because we were able to grow and expand so much. While
2: well, listening, back to your story, to the story you just showed, because like we 100% understand how it yeah. feels.
1: And I don't know about you, but for us it was, it highlighted the, I think the lack of rigor that we were previously putting in to our, into our product kind of discovery. Since then, like there was a lot more, there's a lot more kind of questions that were asked. Like we started doing post-mortems, like talking about how might this fail? We started talking about what are the biggest assumptions that we're making here and how can we test those like earlier? But yeah, we put in like measurements of success up front. there was a whole bunch of, I think just basic product hygiene that then happened as a result of that which helped with almost like every other product that we launched since then. Can you share a little bit about what you're working on now? Starter is a, it started off eight years ago with a elementary school teacher and her husband who was a graphic designer. She was spending her afternoons creating resources for her kids because while she was given a curriculum, like most teachers are, they weren't really given like high quality resources to help teach that. And so she was making her own. She would take that into the classroom. Other teachers would see that and be like, that's amazing. How do I get that? She would then realize that there was a market for this. So decided to start selling. I think in their first year, they had this crazy growth. I think they went to zero to 50,000 in like the first three months or something like that. And realized that there was a business behind it. So then started a subscription library for resources. And that's been operating now for eight years. They've got two thirds of the market in Australia. And we're trying to break into the US at the moment. And that's where I've come in. I've come in to help with the U.S. expansion and work on the, how the product is delivered. So we're doing a lot of growth loops at the moment in terms of helping with the free-to-pay journey in particular. So getting teachers to adopt the product and then putting in extra, like, personalized journeys or other kind of, like, social loops in there to help them upgrade to a paid plan. And that's, I guess, the short-term opportunities that I'm focusing on. Long-term, we're looking at what does the future of teaching look like? and what are we going to be doing? There's been a whole bunch of trends that have been disrupted with COVID. And while our resources is good and our libraries are great, is this the future of teaching or is it going in a different direction and how can we safeguard our existing customer base that we've built up here in Australia? It
0: seems like the teaching resources is a little bit of an iceberg, right? On LinkedIn, you even mentioned that you're an e-learning platform.
1: We've got a few interactive apps to help teach specific concepts and we're looking to grow out that library. I guess Duolingo is probably an uh, easy example. And so we're looking at doing things like that, but aimed at teaching one to many to help explaining a concept to an entire classroom at once. And aimed obviously at that elementary level, as opposed to, uh, there's a lot of people playing in that direct to student space, but they're in the more high school and uh, professional development like for adults. So we're looking to help the teacher enabled inside of a classroom, but more interactive way of displaying certain concepts to help teach them in a more interactive way. And then we're also looking at some just planning and collaboration tools. So we've got some basic ones at the moment in terms of like folders to help share and save resources, but we want to expand that out into um, more advanced kind of planning and collaboration to help teachers, particularly with their relationship that they have with their administrators, in terms of showing the plan that they are planning to teach inside the classroom. core focus will always be resources, that's where we started, but it's now about what are the supplementary products we can build around that to enhance its core kind of capabilities and better collaboration and planning around those resources is one, more interactive resources is another way. I'm sure as I go deeper into this role, there'll be more things that will come up as we explore.
0: On your LinkedIn page, you have quite a few things that we are really interested in as well at user.com. So I would love to dive in a little bit more. Maybe you can share, you mentioned one of the things you're proud of is being a great manager. What are the keys? What are the unlocks to being a great manager?
1: I think the it's particularly hard in this market, right? Everyone's trying to get great tech talent and it's in demand and you need to have a good kind of almost employee position to, to help attract that talent. And part of that is just getting your name out there. And so we started sponsoring events and I started cold reaching out to people on LinkedIn and asking if they just wanted to go grab a coffee and that worked. And then the second part is when you actually catch up with these people and you meet them, you have a really good story to say, about like, why are you different? Why should they come leave whatever job they're in currently and come work with you? and our story was twofold one we're doing pr- product properly so you have a lot of autonomy you get to work on cool things that you want to work on when you come work at teach startup we're able to give that because we've already set some high level guardrails up in terms of north star in terms of the metrics that we use in the north star framework which I can go into in a bit more detail later. And the second part of the story that we'll be able to say is that you're helping teachers, right? So you're doing, you're contributing to the social good in terms of helping teachers in the classroom teach kids. And ultimately, I think it's number five or six on WHO, educating educating people because they've proven that higher education, particularly in those younger years, leads to a... um, increase in socioeconomic status.
0: It's super interesting. I was actually talking to one of the guys who speaks with them from Lego this week, and he was talking about how this reinforcing play through learning is so important. I'm sure you'll be interested to check out the episode, but that's super interesting. But it sounds like the first step is just building a relationship. So you're grabbing a coffee, just connecting on a personal level.
1: It's almost like the do things that don't scale from a recruitment point of view. So we're competing with Lassian and Google and Canva and a whole bunch of other like massive companies to attract talent. And they've already got a really like great story to tell. They're well known, they're well funded, and they've got people knocking down their door for a job, right? And so how do you compete with that? Well, you do the things that they can't do. They can't have their head of product go out and have a coffee with people that they find interesting. And I think that resonates with people when you're meeting. But it was actually me and the head of engineering. We both used to go out and when we were trying to hire Developers specifically, you'd have a good conversation. You would get excited about what their career, what their career goals are, what they want to do, and you start then going, okay, it's almost like a customer interview in that point of view as well. Where you're trying to discover, okay, what's important to you? Okay, cool. How can how could TeachData support that? And sometimes it was a good fit, and sometimes it wasn't. But yeah, there's actually a lot of <laughs> I haven't even thought about it decoding it the way. That, but now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot of just basic like customer interviews and doing things that don't scale and a lot of things that kind of work from a startup sense that we pride to attracting talent.
0: We were put in charge of teams and so we are working through this, like how to be a good manager. We have the Bi- the Bible book, <laughs> as we call it.
2: It's this book, Making a Manager, I guess?
1: By Julie Zoe. The one that I found the most that's helped me in that space was the one called The Trillion Dollar Coach. Very short, a guy called Bill Campbell who ended up coaching the executives at like Facebook, Google, like companies whose combined worth was more than a trillion dollars and they call them the trillion dollar coach. Very short book, talks about some really good ways to run one-on-ones and give feedback. Radical Candor is another one that really helps with giving feedback in terms of that right level between uh, telling people the hard truths that they need to hear, but coming from a place of empathy and deep caring and understanding. This is a really hard balance. Thank you for
0: sharing. That's really useful. I'll definitely take a look at those. Can you share about, like, maybe teams that are adapting and changing to this approach? Maybe a suggestion or tip for having this mindset.
1: Northstar is just an alignment tool. It's just help collectively within the organization, us all decide what is most important and then drop anything that doesn't align with that. As a smaller team, we've got limited resources. We have to make sure that we're always working on the most important thing. I think there's some traps that you can fall into with Northstar as well and just at a high level, focusing on one metric can sometimes lead you down the wrong path. You need a breadth of different metrics to make sure that you're getting told the right story focusing on the north star metric in the way and I'm, the way I'm talking about it is the way that amplitude have talked about north star so hopefully that this makes sense focusing on the north star metric is just like the outcome of what you do from the inputs that you put in to getting to that north star metric and it's more about making sure that you've got the right input metrics are they all like leading indicators of success are you thinking about all the different things from like a acquisition, retention, monetization point of view? More importantly, is everyone in the organization aligned on what you think is important? Because that's not always the case. And so once you go through these kind of workshops to get everyone on the same page, you start to put some frameworks in place or I guess set some goals for teams. And you can then start forming these cross-functional teams around these goals. And you can give them a lot more autonomy to go off and deliver something because you've already done the hard work of saying this is what we need to focus on and why.
2: Could you maybe share an example of those workshops or tactics you use to keep aligning your teams around this North Start metric or the most important metrics in your organization?
1: The way we did it was we ran the a North Star Metric workshop. So we got people together in a room. We started asking questions around what does success look like for the company? And obviously it starts off with monthly recurring revenue. Okay, great. How do we get to monthly recurring revenue and work your way back from that. For us, it landed on monthly downloads per subscriber. That's what we landed on, on our North Star Metric is in terms of if we have enough subscribers downloading something each month, that will result in monthly recurring revenue, but it took a while for us to get to that number. I think everyone had that something else in their heads, but we all agreed that that was the right number. And then it's like, okay. what inputs do we need to do to move that number? Where do we, obviously it's like getting the people to the website. So just traffic in the first place, and then it gets into getting them signed up and onboarded, getting them to experience the resource, getting them to actually use the resource and come back. So make sure the resources are good and everyone then can start seeing where they're part to players. So like our teachers, like the ex-teachers are creating the resources, they understand, oh, okay, cool. I'm looking after these metrics and this is how it supports the broader vision. And I get how my work connects. Marketing is the same thing. Cool. We need to make sure that this traffic engine is working really well and our content growth engine is working really well. And so they focus on these metrics and then collectively we're revisiting it. We've got like weekly trends meeting where we constantly bring up these metrics. We've also got monthly strategy syncs between all the teams we're talking about. And it's just through this kind of repetition. And the teams have been formed around these metrics or around these kind of strategic initiatives where each team has got uh, everything they need to execute it by themselves. We've got marketers mixed in with developers and designers to go off and do whatever they need to do and whatever they think is required to, to hit the goals. And there's checks and balances in place, right? Like they won't like they'll still pitch an idea and that idea will still get reviewed by the leadership team. We're running the shape up process here. I'm not too sure if you're familiar with that from Basecamp, these eight week cycles where you do some work to shape the opportunity that you're going after. It then goes to a betting table. It's agreed on that it goes forward and then you go into these eight week delivery and it's this kind of fixed time, but flexible scope work. So. Every eight weeks you're delivering some increment of value, but you're really super flexible on the scope of that because there are multiple different ways to solve any problem. You're starting problem first, you're making sure you've got the right data upfront, you're setting a good baseline measurement for what success is. That's also been half the challenge with us as well, is realizing that we don't have good baseline data. And so part of the work before we actually get into the opportunity is figuring out how we're gonna measure this and instrumenting the events that we might need to actually measure our baseline. So we can actually then measure the success of what it is that we're doing. We're both
0: smiling because uh, I think we're a couple months behind you.
1: This is the second time I've done it. So we did it at Jumbo two or three years ago. And it was incredible in terms of bringing everyone together. And we probably made more mistakes that time than we did this time around. But we're definitely getting there a lot faster.
0: And you learned about this through Amplitude.
1: Yeah. Like this is probably one of the greatest bits of product marketing I've seen is Amplitude did a, a... They did an ebook on the North Star metrics and then gave you advice on how to run a workshop, gave you advice on what good metrics are. And then at the end, it was just like, oh, and by the way, you can use Amplitude to track all this if you want to. And it's probably one of the best bits of product marketing I've seen.
0: Very cool. I'm taking notes. You mentioned about setting up and implementing your data infrastructure was like something that you're super proud of. How do you feel about this word data chaos with ed tech? Do you think this is something that's a big deal?
1: So when you say data chaos, you mean as a company scales and they want to get more and more complex with the data they're using to improve the experience for their customers, it gets harder and harder to manage. And so you end up having this, you either have to invest a significant amount of time and energy and money in fixing, creating a data strategy, or you could just constantly hacking it together as you try and go along. That's exactly
2: what we mean when we ask about this data chaos term. And also what we notice among some of our current partners or customers as well, when they scale, like those data cell losses, they just grow and it's more challenging to connect the dots, just to connect it and create the highest possible value out of it. To deliver great experiences first is to figure out your data. And this is Mm -hmm. what we are trying to explore more.
1: Yeah. Look, we lived it at Jumbo and I'm living it again now. So basically the story at Jumbo was we had a head of data and they were working on putting all of our data into some massive data warehouse. And it was this project that was taking 18 months and cost almost a million dollars and the business didn't really have much to show for it in terms of insights or anything that they could kind of action. And on the flip side, we had a whole bunch of data analysts, graduates coming straight out of uni who were hacking together our tables to generate the insights that we needed. And so from the executive level, we've got, oh, why don't we just keep doing that? <laughs> but obviously that doesn't scale and that doesn't help. Eventually the head of data moved on data then fell under product and I had to became my problem to solve. And that's when we started exploring customer data platforms like Segment, which was what we ended up going with. It didn't do everything for us. Like Segment handles customer data points really well. There's a whole bunch of like non-customer data points that it didn't really do. Like, for example, there was a whole bunch of draw based external events that were hard for us to build campaigns around we we managed to figure it out but we had to build we had to do some custom coding for that i think that segment as our central data platform really helped us build this level of governance into our data and then it also meant that we weren't like writing the events three or four different times for it to connect into all the various different tools we were using it just was going into one tool and segment was handling all the different connections and updates and all the other things that needed to happen for it to work currently at Starter, we don't actually have a cdp we're doing it directly into amplitude and that's causing us some headaches but also like we're a smaller scrappier company and so we don't necessarily have the budget to pay for all the fancy tooling so yeah so i think one of the other things that's really helping us at teach starters we've recently just hired a data analyst and she is absolutely brilliant she's bringing with with her a whole bunch of great kind of best practices and how we should be thinking about it from like a data engineering point of view but 100% like this is one of the biggest problems that i think companies need to solve at the moment because it's the thing that enables really great product experiences and really great personalization which i think is critical to compete
0: so i would love to get like maybe What do you think are like current trends? Also at the beginning mentioned
2: that you are thinking about the future of education, how it will look like in, in some time. So we are super, super curious to hear more about that.
1: So COVID brought with it a whole bunch of different changes to how we teach. And I'm speaking mostly from a U.S. and Australian education landscape, right? So, particularly in the US, you have a lot of students who then move to one device. And a lot of schools that now have one-to-one devices. So each student has their own tablet or laptop because they were working from home, and that's just accelerated that trend. Because that trend is now accelerated, you've now got a lot more kind of technology in younger students' hands, and which is now enabling like a more digital style solutions to help teach students. So that's probably one of the trends that's already happened and it's just accelerated, and it will continue to happen. The other trend that's happening, particularly in the US, but also here in Australia is there's a massive teacher shortage. So there's not enough teachers. And I think that's going to lead, that has to lead to some sort of reform where either they make it much more attractive for teachers, for people to get into teaching, or they try and scale teaching through digital means, right? And so that's where you've got platforms like OutSchool, which are quite interesting, where they're letting teachers run their own classes online. And then parents can subscribe their kids to all the various different teachers that they want to learn. And particularly in like rural areas where a student, like a kid might have a particular niche interest that just isn't being taught at their school. The other trend that's increasing is homeschooling as well, which is interesting. There was a lot of, for the people who could afford to do it, there was an increase in homeschooling during COVID. And I think they've seen the benefits of the extra kind of differentiated learning that a student can get in terms of being taught to their ability level. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that post COVID. And I guess all of these different trends will then create new kind of technical opportunities. I won't go into, into AR or VR or anything like that yet. I definitely think it's gonna be a thing. I just don't see it happening in the next couple of years. There's so many just basic things that we're currently not doing in schools that we could be doing before we go down that path. Especially when you've still got teachers printing out worksheets and giving their students paper, that's still super common. Cause there's lots of like, there's still lots of benefits of these kind of physical, tangible things.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of the old internet to be honest. Nothing is set in stone. Everybody is kind of like gold rush. Yeah.
1: Uh, Anything you'd like to add or a plug? No, I'm trying to think. If you're, if someone listening is a teacher or working in the ed tech space, please reach out to me. I'd love to have a, a Zoom coffee.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Greg. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to hit five stars. It really makes a difference. If you have any questions or suggestions for future guests, drop me a line and let me know my email is growth at user.com